Today we're going to talk about how to work for a bad boss, what it means to be a good leader and a good follower, and how does all this fit into your long-term strategy for development. You're listening to Proving Grounds. If you haven't already, chances are someday you're going to end up working with some pretty bad leaders throughout your career. Now, I've been incredibly fortunate. Most of the bosses that I've had have been incredible people and even better examples of leadership. But I've also had some pretty bad ones too. And even more preferably, to me at least, I've observed bad leaders that I was fortunate enough to not work with directly. Leadership is difficult. Doing it well is even more of a rarity. So the odds are high that you're going to find some bad ones. But don't worry, you've come to the right place. I've discovered the secret, and I'm going to share it with you later in this show. Because before we can talk about how to effectively work for a bad leader, we need to contrast that with something that has more utility first, which is how to effectively work for a good leader. Because if you can't do that properly under someone who's excellent at leading people, it's going to feel hopeless the moment you find yourself being led by someone who's not. Also, you're going to need to identify which leadership attributes this bad boss is missing the marks in. Most bad leaders aren't bad across the board. There's just key areas that they're lacking that's making everything miserable for everybody. There's surprisingly a lot of hollow and incorrect views on what some people believe a good leader to be. A lot of times people will boil it down to, if the objective was met, then the leader did their job. But what if it's at the sacrifice of continuity? A good leader focuses on delivering vision, which spans the spectrum of both short-term objectives and long-term strategy alike. The ends don't justify the means in the game of long-term strategy. Let's paint a picture. Let's say you've been commissioned to lead an expedition. There's a valuable artifact at the peak of a mountain, thousands of miles away. And your job is to lead a team of people to get it and bring it back. Now, you begin ruthlessly powering your way through the expedition. You make some enemies along the way, but you keep heading towards that mountaintop. Your enemies pursue you, and you send a few of your men back to try and fight them off. Hopelessly outnumbered, they abandon you and abandon the expedition altogether. You have to cross a few bridges over a series of deep canyons, and to ward off your pursuers, you burn down the bridges that you cross so that they can't follow you. And eventually, clawing tooth and nail, you reach the top of the mountain and find the artifact. Ah, what a victory, the crowd goes wild. Until you look down the mountain and realize that there's no one left following you. And you can't bring the artifact back home because you've burned all of the bridges that you needed to make it successfully back. You sacrificed the long-term vision at the expense of the short-term goal. We actually come across this pretty commonly in life. Sometimes it's due to a lack of character. Some people really are just egotistical and bad people, but that's not always the case. A lot of times, it's just the reality that it's hard work. Delivering objectives is hard enough, but having to also deconstruct what's necessary to ensure the continuity of your team is a second full-time job on top of that. Sometimes people are just lazy or complacent. Let's begin at the foundation. What are the archetypal qualities of a good leader? It's much easier to quantify those attributes than it is to quantify the attributes of a bad leader. And the reason for that is poor leadership is just the manifestation of missing the mark on good leadership qualities. And that can also show itself in a limitless amount of different ways. Without spending 30 minutes on a list of 50 attributes, let's break it down into three categories. A leader's purpose is to lead, develop, and achieve. You lead your team by providing purpose, 
inspiration, and enforcing standards. You lead those outside of your team by building trust, understanding your team's purpose in the bigger picture, and resolving conflicts. You lead by personal example by displaying character, being confident and competent. And you lead by communicating, by both listening and understanding, and by giving clear direction for vision and goals. You develop your team by supporting their growth, helping them learn, assessing their needs, and mentoring them. You develop your team's working environment by building teamwork, creating a positive environment, encouraging initiative, and demonstrating character and care for others. And you develop yourself by being prepared, by expecting the unexpected challenges and expanding your own knowledge, and by being aware and observant. And you achieve by providing direction and guidance and priorities to your team. And you develop and execute plans to consistently achieve tasks. I think that's a pretty good 32,000 foot view of what a good leader is. Now, to start moving this topic along, we need to define what is the archetypal model for a good follower? Now, that's a trick question because we already talked about them. All of the attributes of a good leader are the attributes of a good follower. Now, you may be thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. Not everybody can be a leader. That's not necessarily the case. Everyone can and should be a leader. The only differentiating factor between leader and follower is the sphere of influence. If you think about it deeply enough, there's no such thing as someone who is strictly a leader. We exist in a complex symmetry of being both a follower and a leader that's respective to the point of observation. So with that, it becomes obvious that the attributes remain consistent between leader and follower because they're one and the same. Let's jump back into a more practical level of analysis, and let's talk about the relationship between your boss and you. At a practical level, how can you be the best follower possible? Well, we've already established that you need to exhibit the same qualities that make a good leader. Now you need to understand what your sphere of influence is. This area is defined to you by your boss, and your first step is to become a master of everything within that sphere because that's the principal reason for why you're a part of the team in the first place. And your expertise from that position is what will ensure success for what you were placed in charge of. Then you need to start reaching in and then up. You need to begin to improve yourself and improve what you're in charge of. And then you need to start looking at the big picture. How does what you're doing support the overall objectives that your boss is trying to accomplish? Now, you're working for a good leader, so... He's clear in developing you along the way, but it's useful to understand how you can make your boss successful. That really should be your number one focus because of the principle we talked about in the first episode, but from the opposite perspective. The success of your boss is the best indication of the success of his team, and the more successful your boss is, the faster you're going to move up in your own career. So now we need to look at all of the ways that you can support your boss's growth as a leader. First, be humble even if that means letting your boss take the credit for a victory. Because if he's a good leader, you'll get the credit due, and when things go wrong, your boss is going to take ownership of that situation. And remember to never lose sight of those things that are in your sphere of influence either. Take ownership. If something goes wrong, think about what you did wrong first. Even if something doesn't seem like it could possibly be your fault, there's always something that you can come up with that you could have done better to mitigate the risk of that failure occurring. That's where your focus needs to be. In a proper leader-follower relationship, 
there's a constant symbionts between the follower taking a stand for the leader and the leader taking a stand for the follower. That's the basis of building trust. When you step up to the plate for somebody, they're more likely to do the same for you. So then what's the principal manifestation of trust? Dependability. Once you've built trust with your boss, they know that you're reliable. They can depend on you in any situation. They also know that you're a critical component to their own success in their career. Okay, let's start diving into the second half of this episode. The reason that you're all actually listening today. How do you be a good follower when your boss is a bad leader? So here it is. The big secret. The biggest lesson that I've learned from personal experience and observation through both success and failure in my own attempts, and it's this. You do everything that you would do for a good leader. Everything we just talked about. You don't change the principles. You just might have to put in more effort. That's it. That's it. Now trust me, this is going to be the hardest thing that you can imagine. I've seen people do this without ever letting their guard down, and they're consistently wildly successful in the long run. I've done this both well and terrible in different situations, and I've seen the rewards and the consequences of failure alike. Like I mentioned earlier, typically the things that make someone a bad boss are just manifestations of poor leadership attributes. And referring back to the always being both a follower and a leader continuum, you're going to have to identify and compensate for those weaknesses in leadership. Now that doesn't mean overstepping your boss's authority, because there's an absolute difference between authority and leadership and principle. Let's use an example, because I'm being about as clear as mud, I think. Since there's an infinite number of ways for someone to miss the mark as a leader, to get a concrete example of what that looks like, I pulled up a survey that was conducted in 2015. It's by an organization called Bamboo HR, and they surveyed a couple thousand employees on why they left their jobs. 44% of the people who took the survey attributed their departure to a bad boss. And further from that, they were also able to quantify the reasons why they were a bad boss. One that stood out to me as an easy example was 53% of them quit because their boss micromanaged them. Now, let's break down micromanagement to its root cause and where that gap in leadership is identified. It's pretty common that most people don't like their boss to micromanage them. So typically, why is it that a boss micromanages? Usually, it comes down to a lack of trust. A lack of trust that their employees will deliver the outcome that they want in the way that they want it done. And one that you'll never hear someone admit is a lack of trust in their own ability to develop their followers into leaders. So now we have a principal component of leadership that's failing. They're failing to build trust between the leader and follower receiving directive. Now that is where you step in to fill the gap in leadership without subverting their authority. You can now take action to begin developing trust between you and your boss. Since they're failing to do so, you can now lead by example. Although I can guarantee you, this is not going to be a whole lot of fun. Because to build trust, you're going to have to bite the bullet for a while. When your boss asks you to do something in a way that you think is wildly incorrect, you're just going to do it, and with enthusiasm. And you're going to go above and beyond what you already think is excessive. When you're asked for five pages of supporting documents, give ten. When you're asked to call in for an update every hour on a project you're working on, take notes. Send it in an email afterwards as well. Think about all of the non-critical tasks that you're told to do that you would usually complain about and then have them done before your boss even asks you for them. 
once that trust is built, they're going to be more likely to just tell you to take something and run with it. Or when you have suggestions for how to do something more efficiently, they'll listen to your input because they have a wealth of experience knowing that you know what's important to them. You see eye to eye on those things. Make your boss comfortable delegating to you. And to do that, you have to build a relationship, even if that means leading up and taking the initiative to compensate for their lack of leadership in those areas. Now, here's where this really benefits you. You're able to apply additional leadership principles into practice, which is going to make you a more effective leader for any situation in the future. And it's also going to help your boss become more successful. Those areas could be what's holding them back from promotion, which is really important to you if you want to be in their role someday. It has to be vacated before you can move in, so you may as well make your boss as successful as possible to expedite the process, as painful as that might be, depending on how bad of a leader they are. Which brings me to another point that we have to discuss, and that's the spectrum of bad leaders. Because you can have a range from someone who is a good person and just lacking in a few areas, which makes them a lot easier to work for, or you could have someone who's just a plain terrible person. In my opinion, anyone who's willing to become a better leader can. And the attribute that indicates if someone is willing is humility. You have to be humble in order to self-identify weakness, bring it to the forefront where it's exposed, and then stumble as you work to improve it. If someone who lacks the capacity for humility or is just that egotistical to believe that they aren't doing anything wrong to begin with, they will never be a better leader. Now, what's unfortunate about that is, just because someone shouldn't be a leader doesn't mean that they won't. Sometimes ego is mistaken for confidence and competence, and those kinds of people are commonly placed into leadership roles because of that. So that brings up another important question. When do you call it quits on a bad leader and become one of the 44% who leave their jobs because of a bad boss? Well, that's a complex question, and I'll say that a good gauge for it is this. First, expend all of your options. You really need to be sure that you put in all the effort that's possible within your sphere of influence to make that situation better. And that's also going to supply you with a whole host of opportunity to grow your leadership abilities. So you're still getting utility out of it. The second thing is, to what degree is it impeding your progress towards your visionary goals? Check out episode number two. You need to aim higher if you haven't listened to it already. We talk about what those goals are and how to set them. But you need to consistently be assessing if your current situation is causing you to stagnate or move towards your overarching goals in life. But I wouldn't make those decisions superficially. You really need to ask yourself what lessons you can learn from the hardships that you're facing in your job right now. Because they might not be pleasant, but if sometimes you know that because of that, it's going to teach you some valuable lessons that you couldn't get anywhere else. You might even find yourself in a situation later in life where you don't have a choice and you have to work for a bad leader. By learning how to be effective in a more controlled environment, you're setting yourself up for future success. I think that the underlying lesson of all of it is this. As you develop your leadership qualities you're also developing your character and integrity as a person. Never sacrifice either of those things. If you consistently abide by those principles, you'll be an example of leadership no matter what position, career, team, or sphere of influence. Because when people see good leadership, they recognize it, no matter where you are. And it's far easier to recognize a good leader than a bad one, 
which also lends its hand to the issue of there being an oversupply of bad leaders in the world. Okay, let's start our recap of today's episode. We talked about a basic framework to begin to identify the qualities of a good leader. Then we talked about how the attributes of a good leader are in fact the same attributes of a good follower and the concept that I'm going to coin as the leader-follower continuum. And then the real earth-shattering secret, how to be a good follower to a bad leader, which is to be a good follower and leader regardless of who's above or below you in the chain. I hope this was helpful to you, and it probably seems pretty obvious after you hear it, but a lot of times the situations that you're in when you have a bad boss is incredibly frustrating, and that emotional element of it clouds your judgment. And beyond that, it's just hard to do. I've failed at it plenty of times myself, and that's why it makes it such a powerful lesson for me. So don't get discouraged with yourself when you fail some days trying to do this. Just make sure you identify when that happens so you can learn the most out of it. Thanks for joining in for this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications when the next episode's released. And whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or right on our website, make sure you leave a five-star review to help this podcast make it to more ears. And speaking of more ears, if you have friends, employees, kids, parents, grandparents, whoever, that you think would benefit from listening in, click the share button. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you right here next time on Proving Grounds.